Hi, everybody. Welcome to Getting Woke with Dr. Chi. Say hi. Hi. Hi, everybody. Hi. Hi, this is Getting Woke with Dr. Chi, and I'm here with my nephew. Hi. <laughs> Love saying hello to people. And I'm going to talk about a lot of different things today. Hi. So I was going to travel last year to Nigeria and to Spain before the pandemic hit. And then it took shape and it made things um, a lot more difficult, shall we say. As this pandemic was unfolding, I was really surprised at the number of people who were still traveling who thought that it was ethical to go to developing countries like Mexico, to go to Brazil, to go to Puerto Rico, even though it's not a, you know, its own country, but still. I didn't like the notion that the United States is the hot spot for the coronavirus, right? That we are just, it's just ravaging the United States. And just to think that there are people who are okay with going to Cancun or going to Puerto Vallarta, you know, or going to, you know, where God knows where, going to Jamaica, to these countries that don't have our same health infrastructure and deciding that they want to just go and have fun because, you know, this corona lockdown is just too much for them. I just thought that it was really in, in poor taste. Let's say it was in poor taste. And I understand that we're having a hard time here in the United States, but I don't want to drag this highly contagious virus or it's even more contagious variants to people where they don't have the same health infrastructure that we do in the United States, right? I just found it really interesting to see that Mexico now has the third highest rate of COVID infections in the world at, and overtaking India. So hearing those rates and that information really made me uncomfortable because it made me realize that the United States is the center, the epicenter of COVID right now. And being so close to the epicenter means that you have to do a really good job of keeping us out if you want to protect your population. And so hearing about all these people who are traveling to Cancun and Puerto Vallarta and the other areas of Mexico because they were tired of life in the United States just let me made me feel really, really uncomfortable. Like we were dismissing the fact that Mexico does not have the same types of access to healthcare that we have in the United States and that we didn't care. And so I felt really, really uncomfortable with that. And I was seeing people on these, on social media talk about their trips and how they had like had gone abroad and how they were living the be their best lives despite the pandemic in the United States. They just needed a break and how oh, over here it doesn't even feel like there is a pandemic. Meanwhile, they're like bringing the pandemic to people in these developing countries. So this is why I think, I honestly believe, if you're going to travel, I think that we should only travel to Western industrialized nations. I know that New Zealand is like, we are not having you right now. You cannot enter our country. Maybe we'll see you in 2022. I completely understand. If I were New Zealand, I would do the same thing. Like, mm, you can't come into my house, but we can wave from the window, right? And so I think that the most ethical thing is, how about instead of traveling to Mexico or to the Caribbean, how about you go to Switzerland, go skiing in the Alps, 
You know, maybe you should go and check out what's going on. Don't go to England. Maybe you should go and check out what's going on in Germany right now. If Angela Merkel will let you in, right? I think that it's irresponsible of Americans to bring this illness to countries where people don't have the resources. Not all people have the resources to get good medical health care. Not everybody is like, you know, Obrador, who recently caught COVID, who is the president of Mexico, and has availability that no average Mexican would have, right? He has access to oxygen tanks and to the medical care that he would need so that he can be fine and have minimal symptoms. Whereas I was reading this piece that people were, people are fighting for oxygen tanks in Mexico. So, of course, this is not, you know, saying that all Mexicans are poor and are literally battling each other in the streets, you know, for oxygen tanks. Yeah, there's a, li a little bit of a hyperbole there, just, just a little, just a snitch, just a snitching. But I think if y'all want to like travel and go see some things, why don't you go to Australia? You know, it's the land down under. So at least there it's summertime, if they'll have you. And at least there, if you go there, you can, you know, experience the sun and the beaches and not feel so like you're engaged in unethical practices by engaging in travel because you are tired, sick and tired of being in the U.S. I don't blame you. I'm right there with you. So I was today years old when I realized discussions of Afropolitanism that had been happening. Okay, you gotta go, baby. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You gotta go. You gotta go. Go find your mommy. So I was today years old when I read this really interesting piece by Grace Musila who's um, in the English department of Stellenbosch University in South Africa. And she has this really interesting discussion about Afropolitanism in a way that has left me, um, that explains a lot of my anxiety or discomfort with this notion of Afropolitanism. So in this piece in the Journal of African Cultural Studies, which was published in 2016, she talks about the need to problematize Afropolitanism. And so she's not talking about pan-Africanism or African socialisms or anti-colonial nationalisms because she sees a lot of those things as like really like 20th century stuff, you know. She's like, okay, those are the major, you know, political intellectual paradigms of Africa for the last century. But we're, we're not in that century anymore, right? And one of the things that the author describes is how Afropolitanism is really about celebrating this notion of Africans being in this global north and having the wherewithal to engage in cultural consumption um, and consumerism and living in places that are um, that are have vibrant economies and that are liberal democracies. And this notion is really rooted in global capital, right? And one of the things I find really interesting about this piece is how it's very clear about how we have to pay attention to who has access to this type of a world. So several moons ago, when I was um, a fellow at University of Pennsylvania's um, Center for Africana Studies, I really embraced this notion of being this cosmopolitan African descent girl, right? Like this um, child of African immigrants living in... Philadelphia in the United States in the West and having spent time in 
you know, other countries and multilingual. And I really welcome that notion and saw myself as being a part of this um, group of Africans and people of African descent who, you know, move between worlds and have access to learning multiple languages and engaging in consumer society. I used to really embrace it. And then I kind of started to realize, wait a minute, but like there are a lot of Africans who don't have access to that. And what does it mean if you're a migrant from Zimbabwe who has to work in South Africa, you know, for, you know, to support your family or to make ends meet or what have you? Like, are they participating in Afropolitanism? I was also in a, a an African, young African professionals of Philadelphia group. We used to call ourselves the Yappies. That was the name of the group. We were Yappies. And we were all these young Africans and like second, first and second generation Africans who hung out and did cool stuff the way Yappies do when they're in their 20s and early 30s. And again, it was rooted largely in access to consumer culture, being able to go out to happy hours and have drinks and have fun. But it really seemed divorced from notions of Africanisms that were not rooted in class. In other words, I felt like a bougie bitch. I felt bougie as hell. And I was like, but like, that's, those are my origins. And we know that there are a lot of poor people in Africa, right? I'm not saying that all the Africans are poor. But interacting with Africans in places like, at places like Penn or when I was interacting with them at Harvard, actually I was largely avoiding them there, I was thought to myself, oh wait, are you the child of a senator who's like the highest paid senator in the world? Or like, are you an oil tycoon that is refusing to give the people in Nigeria access to clean water because you're polluting their land, right? So I just kind of wondered, hmm, what are we really celebrating here? Are we celebrating capitalism and the people who are the winners? Are we celebrating people who are the losers? And it made me really uncomfortable. So this piece by Musila really emphasized this idea of Afro Afropolitanism being very rooted in a global capitalism. And so I think that it just really was interesting thinking about um, a cosmopolitanism that's about conspicuous consumption. Like, hey, look at these like cute, like, you know, uh, apple bottom jeans I got, right? Or like, look at my like red bottom shoes. Or like, oh yeah, I wear Gucci, I wear Prada. It's like, well, I'm just not comfortable being a part of that African world, particularly given that we know that so much of that wealth is is produced by very, very few, and that many, many Africans are excluded from it. So as somebody who tries to be globally minded, I thought that this piece in the Journal of African Cultural Studies was really helpful. So thank you to Grace Musila talking about Afropolitanism and the complexities of it, the issues surrounding it. And thank you for Journal of African Cultural Studies for getting these conversations going and continuing these conversations about Afropolitanism and perspectives and paradigms and dynamics of being African in an increasingly globalized world. So this has been a pretty heavy episode. So I think it's nice to intersperse it with a little bit of talk about the things that are keeping me happy and a little bit of pop culture. 
Um, I really enjoy spending time with my nephew. He's so friggin' adorable. And just like making a child laugh, just tickling them can just like, you know, take away, just take away the pains of the world. You know, you forget about how much your back aches when you're like, you know, when the, when a child is just like giggling with, up, just giggling with uproarious laughter because, you know, you're teaching them how to punch their stuffed animal. So this is the cool thing about being an auntie. You can teach them violence without having to deal with the repercussions of violence. Anywho, <laughs> no parent-teacher conferences for me. <laughs> um, but as far as pop culture that I'm enjoying right now, I'm currently watching several um, K-dramas at once. I'm watching Run On with Shiwan, I believe is the name of the main character. I don't understand who is dressing this boy. Like me and my sister are watching the show and we're like, why are his pants flooding? How come you can see where the tailor hemmed his pants? How can his clothes don't fit well? But he's supposed to be a rich guy. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. And we're just watching I'm like, man, Carmex needs to like sponsor this show because everybody's got some really, really dry lips. Like, why are your lips so dry, bro? Lady, why are your lips so dry? And it's even worse in my favorite show right now, which is True Beauty. It is hilarious. It is a K-drama for people who love K-dramas. There are references to other dramas, including I just saw one about the, the King Eternal Monarch, which was hilarious. Anywho, those are the things that are making me happy. And I just finished Her Private Life. And for some reason... My nephew just loved that intro. He loved the song so much so that we found the OST online on YouTube and just played the intro to her private life for him over and over. And, and by the fourth time, I was like, we're over it. But my nephew was like, more, more. So, and he just got up and just started dancing to this cheesy song. And it was the most adorable thing ever. So... You know, kids make it all worthwhile sometimes, you know, especially when they're other people's kids. You can just like pass them off when it's time to change a diaper or pass them off when they're like having a bad day and they like want to grunt and moan and cry. So, okay, sister, come take your baby. It's good times. Wello, thank you for listening to Getting Woke with Dr. Chi. You can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at at Chinyere Osuji, C-H-I-N-Y-E-R-E-O-S-U-J-I. I'm also on Instagram at Chi from the Shy, C-H-I from D-A, and then C-H-I again. Um, and I hope to talk to you guys soon. Enjoy your day. <laughs>